Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. We're so excited to be back with you here at City on a Hill, and uh, it's always uh, it's always just it's a privilege to be here with you and uh, to share with you, to partner with you and your pastors in the furtherance of the gospel. I uh, uh, also, I I mean, I'm the pastor of a church in Queens, so I skedaddle out of here on Sunday morning, and my church meets in the evening, and tonight, for the first time ever, is our big launch. We're starting our second service, so we have a 4.15 p.m. and a 6 p.m., and so if you're thinking about it, and you're driving home, you're like, man, I need something to pray about. I got like seven seconds of spare time. I just wish I had something to pray about. Why not pray for us, for for me and for New Hope Church, as we uh, try to... Uh, go into that two-service thing, and I know there's going to be a lot of stuff that goes crazy, but our goal is just to glorify God and, and for people to have a place to sit. So uh, thanks for that, and I covet your prayers on that. I'm going to be uh, still on this idea of big faith. I say still because if you were here a month ago when I was here, if you were here two weeks ago, I've been sort of hammering on this idea of big faith and really trying to analyze where does big faith come from? It is possible that if you're like me, the idea of big faith seems great, but it can be frustrating. Here's what I mean. There are those that we look at that just seem to have it. I mean, I've even heard people give testimony like, yeah, I was struggling with all these addictions. I was struggling with all these insecurities. I was racked with guilt and fear. And then I came to Christ and boom. Like never wanted another drink, never, never wanted to pursue any more of this addiction. I, I suddenly knew who I was. And it's like, boom, it just happened. And sometimes you look at that and you're like, is big faith one of these things that you just, you just have it or you don't? Because many of us, don't we feel just a little bit of hypocrisy? I do. And I'm, 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 I'm a preacher. Like I'm trying. And I'm sitting here and the, and the song will be like, like one of those I songs. Let me give you an example. Like there's a lot of songs that everybody can sing. Like how great thou art. Because no matter where you are, you can agree God is great. You with me? But then when they do those I songs where it's like, I surrender all. And I'm like, man, I would love to sing this. But in my heart, my lips are going, I surrender all. But my heart's like, I surrender most. And then like, you know, God's like, for real? I'm like, all right, I surrender some. You know, like you, you got me, right? And I want, but I want to be there. And I see people and there's, come on, there's times in your life where that song is true. That song is spot on. But a lot of times it has to be like taken from us for us to get there. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, how God uses suffering when you have everything surrendered. Then you say, I surrender all. My point is simply this. Where, where does that big faith come from? For a lot of us, either sermons seem to be, I'm guilty of this. This is not on you. This is on me. But a lot of times I I get into this rut where I'm either preaching to those with like no faith or it seems like my sermons are those like super faith, you know, martyrs and keep going, you you know, you're doing great. When many of us live in this vast middle where it's like, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Where does big faith come from? I think it may be. So a lot of times what I do then when I try to address the middle is I say, have big faith, you know, get there, surrender your whole life to God. But there's that question of how, what does that look like realistically? If I'm in the middle, what the, really, what does that look like? 
growing up, uh, I grew up in a world where I was told that, that it, it really is like a light bulb. It really is like a, you need to surrender your whole life to God. And that's true, but nobody really analyzed how that happens. Is it just no faith, no faith, boom, big faith. I remember being in, at a youth camp, right? I would go to these youth camps and the preacher would preach and youth camps are great because they got you like for a week and you're not eating right, and you're not sleeping. So by Thursday night, you're like, I feel the Lord. It may be gas, you don't know, but you're like, what? And the preacher would be like, 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 if Jesus Christ is not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. Surrender your whole life to Jesus Christ right now. Come to the altar, whatever. And I'm sitting there going, and can I finish high school? Like, what, what does that mean, you know? And then when I grew up, I became that preacher. Young people, you know. Uh, what happens here? Uh, so we turn to the scriptures and we think, okay, well, let's look at how people who had big faith, how it happened in the Bible. And I want to show you. That, that's what I want to uh, talk about today. Big faith comes from a lot of things. God uses spiritual disciplines to build big faith. God uses big suffering to build big faith. Talked about that two weeks ago. Um, uh, so let's look at some people who had big faith. And I want to show you how it happened. Because it's told in different ways depending on the gospel writer you look at. Now, th- this is very important. You know, right, that we have four accounts of the life of Jesus. We call them the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they all told for different reasons and and in different directions of the way they were focusing about the life of Jesus, right? So Matthew was uh, one of the followers of Jesus. Remember, he was a tax collector. And he wrote his Gospel primarily to Jewish people to show that Jesus was the Messiah. Mark... You remember, uh, he was uh, uh, Peter. He, he took his information from Peter. So he sat down. Peter told him everything. Mark put it on paper. Boom, we get the Gospel of Mark. So it's basically Peter's version as told through Mark. Uh, you got um, uh, Luke. Luke was a doctor. The only Gentile author in anywhere in the New Testament. Luke. And Luke was this doctor, this real, uh, some of you are like this real detail oriented. Luke would have been the guy with like a spreadsheet and he's like typing in all the details and geeking out on it all. And then John, one of the last apostles to die, lived a long time and he sort of sits back and like analyzes everything and thinks about it in, um, uh, with a little bit of distance, a little bit of time and space. So they're each telling the same story. And just on one teeny tiny note of apologetics, uh, the apologetic, you know, using reason and logic to say uh, about the claims of Christ. Not for nothing. Name another historical figure that we have this much reliable eyewitness data about. You know what I mean? A lot of people, oh, you know, I don't know about Jesus. Oh, it's such scant evidence. If that were your test, like if that were the litmus test, we need uh, uh, credible textual eyewitness documents. You'd have to throw out Homer. You'd have to throw out Virgil. You'd have to throw out Shakespeare. I mean, there's there, there's nobody else. If, Anyway, so there's these four uh, gospel accounts, but, but it's helpful to look at them together. And here's why. When you get to Matthew, your image of big faith looks something like this. Let's look at the call of Peter and his brother, Andrew and James and John. And I'll show you in Matthew four, I'll I'll show you exactly what I mean. See if you can pick up on what I'm saying here. Uh, For a lot of us, this is what big faith looks like. It, It must be like this. Here we go. As Jesus, this is Matthew 4, 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, all right, uh, we, it says Sea of Galilee. That's sort of important. They call it Lake of Gennesaret, Tiberias. Depending on where you're from, uh, they call it different things. Just like in my borough, we call it the Grand Central. Y'all call it the Northern State just because of where you live. It's the same thing. If you lived on this side, you call it Sea of Galilee. If you lived over here, Lake of Gennesaret. The point, all I'm wanting to, to tell you is that, and it's sli- slightly important for later in the sermon, is that it's massive. 
This isn't like Lake where we think of Lake. You know, I think of Lake, you know, a few minutes from my house is like, you know, Flushing Meadow Lake where you can run around it in two miles. This is like how Minnesotans think of lakes, right? Where what we would call oceans. Massive. That's going to be slightly important later. Anyway, he sees these two brothers. Jesus walks up, sees the brothers. Simon called Peter. That's important because I'm going to call Simon Peter throughout the sermon. And Peter, Simon, I'm not talking about two people. I'm talking about the same person. You'll just have to forgive me. But he gets his name changed later. So I'm talking about the same guy, Simon Peter. All right. Simon called Peter and his brother, Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake. Obvious here. For they were fishermen. That was their occupation. That was their vocation. Now let's see. Let's see how big faith works. Verse 19. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Some of you know the King James. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Verse 20. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Big faith, right? That, that, that's, that's my point. Like for a lot of us, that's what we think big faith looks like. Jesus walks up. No context, no content needed. He's the Lord of glory. He walks right up like a Jedi master and says, follow me. And they're like, boom, we're out, done. Leave everything, leave their work, leave their job. And you look at that and you're going, well, maybe you wouldn't say it because you're in church. But when you leave church, you're like, I'm sorry, that's unrealistic, right? Just walk right up. Big faith. You go from no faith, no faith. Boom. Suddenly big faith. Really, how many of you in your job, you're doing your job. These guys were doing their job. They were on the work site. That's what they're doing. How many of you, he walks into your cubicle, come, follow me. Well, I mean, some of your job, you're like, peace. I'm out. I don't care where we're going. It's better than here. I don't even, right? But presumably, if you were doing a job that maybe you were good at or you like, and Jesus walks right in, right into the middle of your cubicle farm, come. Follow me. No introduction, not, hi, my name is Jesus. I'm the, hi, come, follow me. And I will make you an insurance adjuster of men. Or whatever, you know. Right? If that's your understanding of what big faith looks like, then I imagine I can appreciate your skepticism when the preacher says, you need to have big faith. You need to turn over your entire life to God. You need to give every decision up to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and it should just happen. Here, today, come, do it, boom, right? You go, I, honestly, I don't know if that's, I don't know. It gets worse. Uh, verse 21, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them, <clears throat> and immediately they left the boat, and their father and followed him. This isn't just, I'm leaving behind the business. Come on, like, does this look spiritual to you? Or does this, be honest, doesn't this look irresponsible? Here, dad, I know you got this. You know what, dad, I'm, have fun with the business, dad. We're, uh, say hi to mom. We love, we're with the guy with sandals. So, right? right? This is every parent's nightmare. That suddenly, oh, he's gone off. He joined a cult. I don't, what is, what? What are we supposed to do with Matthew 4 in our life? Because I know the right answer. I'm a preacher. I'm supposed to tell you. If Jesus says, follow me, and he does, the call on your life is follow me. Spoiler alert. I know God's will for your life. Follow Jesus. Sorry if you thought it was this big mystery where it was a tightrope and you had to like figure out every little decision. Just wake up in the morning and follow Jesus. God's will. Done. But, but okay, so we're supposed to follow Jesus, but how does it work? That's it? I just surrender my whole life? But that's just it. Matthew and Mark, they tell that story, but Luke, 
All right, now watch this. We're going to spend time in Luke 5. This is beautiful. If you're tur- oh, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, yeah, go there. Luke 5, right? The pages are rustling. We're turning to Luke 5. Luke is great because Luke does these. He- Matthew and Mark talk about Jesus doing healings. And uh, uh, in Matthew and Mark, it's like, boom, he called these disciples. He was off healing. Luke talks about the healings in Luke 4 a little bit. And then in Luke 5, he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's back up a second. Let me tell you how, we call- how Jesus called these guys. And he puts in a little detail that has everything to do, I think, of how big faith really happens. How it happened to the disciples, and it's no different for how it can happen to us. No matter where you are, there's a place for you in this story. I'll show you. So if you've got it in your Bible, look at Luke 5. If you don't have a Bible or you can't find it or you're looking at it on your phone, or whatever, that's all fine. I'll have it up here so we can all be on the same page. Here we go. Here's the story from Luke 5. Okay, He goes into a little more detail, a little bit more content, a little bit more data about how this thing worked. Here we go. Verse 1, one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, there I told you, see, Sea of Galilee, Lake of Gennesaret, Tiberias, it's the same thing, just northern state, Grand Central, depends on where you are. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Okay, already, Matthew, you, you left that part out. What were they doing? They were listening to the word of God. There was some content there. There was some information there they didn't go from no faith nothing no faith boom big faith i'm a disciple of jesus i'll follow you anywhere they got some word of god in their life they got some questions answered the rabbis taught in a question answer format perhaps people posed questions and he answered it's perfectly okay to investigate and to get some of your questions answered it's perfectly okay to say i need some content before i tell dad have fun storming the castle i'm with sandals guy This faith, it's perfectly okay to say, my faith is well informed. You know, it's almost like we, uh, I I, I would never want, let me say this, I would never want to be guilty of sort of giving extra credit to those Christians who came to faith with no real need for skeptical questions to be answered or something like that. Oh, you're super spiritual because you didn't need no book learning, you know? No, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. Who said you had to check your brain at the door to become a Christian? You need some content. You need some information. They didn't become full-on followers of God until verse 1, listening to the Word of God. Now, now, now here, here's why I tell you that. I hear some people say, no, 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 you just need blind faith. Where's that in the Scriptures? No. This isn't blind faith. This is faith with content. In fact, if you're ever not here at City on a Hill Church, you know, and I know it may be possible that you may go to another church every now and then, that, that, that's fine. But, but if you find yourself there and you hear the preacher say, now you don't need to question, you don't need to look, listen, you need to take what I say. And he, he or she may not say that verbally, but if that's the message that's implied, that what I say goes, and you don't need to be asking questions, you don't need, you just need to believe what I say, here's what you need to do. You need to run away. Because you are in a cult. <laughs> Part of our job as pastor, Latin word for shepherd, is to protect people from cults. And one of the signs is when they say, no, 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 close the Bible, listen to me, right? That's why when you come here, what do these preachers do? They open the word of God. They say, here it is, investigate for yourself. The point is simply I'm making is you need content. You need to ask tough questions and get good answers. That's okay. That's perfectly okay. And in fact, if you're here today and you're not even a believer, you say, I'm new to all this. I don't even know. I was thinking about this. You, you can start reading the New Testament. Like when you go home, start reading Matthew chapter 1. You can start reading the New Testament. It starts in Matthew. 
And uh, you can start reading that today, even if you're not a believer. Like, I don't know if you needed permission to do that, so I give you permission. Like, you can, you can totally do that, man. You can start in Matthew 1, and you can start reading, even if you don't know if you believe this stuff. Come, come, get some information. Just stand around the lake and listen to the Word of God. Do it. Really, do it, that, if that's where you're at. Um, small thing, step toward building big faith. Ah, okay. So let's see what happens next. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. All right, great. So we're, we're getting a little more context here. Uh, Matthew left this part out too. He sees over there two, uh, these two boats and the fishermen are uh, washing their nets. I'll just say a brief word about washing your nets. It was a long and arduous chore that would happen after you went fishing. I told you it's a sea of Galilee, not a lake. Very, very deep, very, very big. And so fish are a lot like humans. Uh, when it's uh, brutally hot, their, their appetite goes down. You know how it is when it's sweltering August, you don't think, man, I want a huge feast. You think, I just want a salad. You know, fish are the same way. And so uh, they, what they want to do is they want to swim to the bottom and chill out and like take a nap when it's hot daytime. And then in the evening, they come up to the shallow waters and that's when they uh, get their food. That's when they eat. If you are a net fisherman, if you fish by a net, it is by all means to your advantage to have the fish up close to the top of the water because your nets can't reach way down there. So you fish during the night. That's really important for the story. You fish during the night and then in the morning you, you take your catch, you, you, you go into the fishmonger, whatever you sell, hopefully you made a catch, you sell, and then begins the work of cleaning your nets. You have to do it right then because you know they're all dirty and the water's going to corrode them. So you stretch your nets out between two big wooden poles and you go through and you pick out all the, you know, the coke cans and the sunglasses and all right and you seaweed and you pull all that out and then you just chill for an hour or two and you let the sun do its work it dries them off when it's dry you fold them up roll them up lock them in the boat and then they're ready for the next night work you can go home and sleep and then wake up and try again the next night right a long and difficult job but it had to be done so it says the fishermen are over there washing their nets and what are they doing they're listening just like you would. You know, somebody's got the radio on loud at work. You can't help it. You're hearing it. There's Jesus preaching and teaching. And they're washing. All right. They're, they're listening. They're getting some content. Then this. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Now, what's going on here? Well, we, re- we read in, in the first two verses that the crowds were pressing on him. Now, you have to imagine, Jesus has been healing. He's got this popularity. And so all these crowds are pushing on him. And he's thinking, you know, what am I going to do? And so his little ankles are starting to get wet. He's backed up into the water. There's nowhere else to go. It's like Jesus can walk on the water. So... So he, he sees these boats, and he's like, all right, I got an idea, right? So he gets into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked Simon to put out a little from the shore. Why? Floating pulpit. See, if he can back into the water a little bit, ah, oh, some breathing room. Now everybody can hear him. Now he can speak the word of God clearly. And it's not like all these people are crammed up right in his face, and he can't get the message across, you know. And he's telling parables, so there's arm movements. and all. He needs his face. So he backs up into but he asks Peter. Now, this is fascinating. He asks Peter, uh, can I borrow your boat? Now, poor Pete's been washing his nets. He's probably exhausted. Uh, not a Jesus follower. May not have used church words in describing his response. But he goes over and, um, uh, 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 and here's this great scene where um, I don't think it's the great turning point of faith, turning point of Peter's life. I think that is coming later. But at this point, it's just this. You've heard some content. Now, can I inconvenience you a little bit? Can I ask you to do something that's inconvenient to you? Now, listen, I, you can't make too much of this. 
for some people, they just, they're just not getting the content. They're not sitting and listening to the Word of God. Whether it's they don't have a friend that can teach them, whether they didn't. And some of you, if you're still there, you just need to listen to the Word of God, okay? You need to pick up that Christian book that somebody gave to you. It's like, I really think you need to read this. Mm, fine, you know? Pull it off the shelf. For some of you, you need to start in Matthew, start reading the Word of God. Others of you have done that. You're starting to get your questions answered. And now you feel this thing that the Lord's asking you, do, do something that's inconvenient. I'll, I'll give you a couple examples of things that are inconvenient. Um, uh, you're here, so I'll say that church wasn't inconvenient. But if you're honest, it may be Sunday morning, depending on how the Jets are doing. It may be that church is inconvenient. Fine, I'll grant you that. But you're here, so you're probably over that one. What about open church? What about few good men? Like in my church, it's small groups. Our versions of that, you know, we do small groups. And I told my church, listen, I, I get it. You work so hard during the week. I'm convinced, New Yorkers, they will give you money, but time. And I get it. I get it. I get it. I got three kids. For us to get to church on time, we leave on Thursday to make it by Sunday. Because otherwise, you're not, you, you know, you sleep there. Otherwise, you're fighting. I get it. I get it. Here's, what, here's the deal. It's inconvenient. Okay, it's inconvenient to come out another night, another week night, because you got school night, you got PTA, you got all this stuff. That's right. And, and here's the thing everybody knows. This is me just going, hey guys, one plus one, we already know it equals two. Let me just, let me just connect the dots for you. You will tell me that the most important thing in your life is God. So make it God. Is it inconvenient? Yes. Yes, that's the point. But it's not it's not go to the cross and stretch out on a Roman cross and die, right? Jesus did not say, hey, Peter, I want your life to end in crucifixion. Now follow me. All he said was, yo, man, can I borrow your boat? Can I borrow your boat? It's inconvenient, a little bit inconvenient. Let me borrow your boat. Just a small group, right? It's just, it's just open church. There's a few good men. It's just ignite. Let me just, just, just driving a few people, just driving food. It's okay. Let me borrow your boat. Listen, I'm being serious. Like, if you leave this sermon and you go, I will now be a driver for the food pantry, whereas before I didn't hear the sermon, I wouldn't have been a driver for the food pantry. Mission accomplished. Like, your life changed because of the Word of God. Like, that's what's supposed to happen, you know what I mean? I don't want you to leave me like, well, metaphorically, I need to give more spiritual time. No! I don't mean that at all. Um, inconvenient. Inconvenient. That's it. So some of you, you're like, I need to hear the word of God. That's step one, small step of faith. Then Peter gets inconvenienced a little bit, but he takes that step. He does it. He does it. That's so cool. He does it. And Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat. I highlighted, highlight, highlight the word taught, uh, because it, uh, uh, I want you to see there's more content. So it's like, it's almost like he's getting more teaching, but he's getting more teaching as he's doing more doing. You get it? Here we go. This is my favorite part. I know I said that about the other verses, but this my new favorite. When he had finished speaking, Jesus said to Simon. Now, of all the things he could have said, because when I get done speaking, what I say is, we'll now have an offering or whatever. I don't know. But when I get, right, <clears throat> oh, hey, Pete, that was, and that's the other great thing. He's teaching everybody from the boat, but who's on the boat? Like, who has to be listening to every word? Poor Simon Peter. Talk about a captive audience. If you've ever preached on a boat, <laughs> where are they going to go? So anyway, he's hearing every word. You know, some of you will follow me to the end of the world. Some of you will betray me just when I need you most. You know? Pete's like, what? He's like, rah, rah. Anyway, he, of course, Peter doesn't know that. So he's teaching, he's preaching. When he gets done speaking of all the things he could have said, of all the things, I've already asked you to listen to the word of God. I mean, I didn't really ask you. You just did that. And then I've already asked you to just inconvenience yourself a little bit, just do something that you might not have done. And now he's like, oh, now he's ready. See, big faith didn't spring out of nowhere. It was these little steps of faith, these 
little inconveniences where, I don't know, I just, I said I'll come to this weekly event because, I don't know, it's just a little inconvenience. And then the next thing happens. Of all the things he could have said, of all the things he could have said, our Lord says the craziest thing. He always does. Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Uh, modern day English. Okay, Pete, will you take me fishing? Several problems with this. Uh, Peter and Andrew are looking at him going, okay, we've been fishing all night long, which is the only time you can catch fish, right? And they're looking at Jesus going, obviously a carpenter, right? <laughs> Jesus, I don't know if you were watching us painfully, painstakingly clean out all the nets. I don't know if you noticed how they're <clears throat> all nice and dry now and how the last thing we would want to do is get them wet again. Uh, so this is beyond inconvenience. This is the point of uh, decision. This is beyond inconvenience. This is a word from the Lord. Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Does everybody see how that is different than he asked Peter to put out a little bit? This is a command. You, I mean, it may be really gentle. It may be really nice. And I think it was. But it's a command from the Lord God. Take me fishing. Put out into deep water and let down the kitchen. Not, will you, I know it's inconvenient. No, 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 here we go. Here we go, moment of truth. Will you do it? Will you do something that you've done a thousand times, but will you do it in a totally different way? And will you do it, not because you think it will work, and not because you think that it's a good idea, and not because it all adds up in your logical world, will you do it because I, the Lord, asked you to do it? Will you do it because I said so? Will you do it? Now, uh, I, I told you, you don't catch fish at night, and we just washed our nets. And so Peter's answer, you can certainly, I think he's respectful, but you can certainly hear his, uh, hear his answer. Yeah, uh, at least I can. There's probably multiple ways to interpret this. I think they're all, you can make a case for all of them. But I like master, and this is important, that's not the word for Lord. That, that's master. That's sort of general. You're a rabbi. It's a term of respect that he would use for a lot of different rabbis. Master, he says, we've worked real hard all night. Haven't caught anything. Now you hear that? Now here's what I hear in that. Jesus gives a command, let's go catch fish. The appropriate answer is, sir, yes, sir, let's go catch fish. But he doesn't say yes, sir. He says, well, stands up. Andrew's like trying to hold him back. Dog, I've seen this before. He's crazy, you know. He remembers when he was a kid, the wooden sword, Andrew's ear. He's like, yo, Yo, master, and Peter's a boat captain. Talk about control freaks, you know what I mean? He's like, I, I've, I've got it. I've got my stuff together here. I own a boat. I got this thing. James and John's still working for dad. I'm Simon Peter Incorporated. I got my own thing. Master, we've worked real hard all night. You hear, you hear that? There's a no in there that's couched in good language. Master, we've worked real hard all night. Haven't caught anything. I think he's laying down his authority on the subject of fishing. You may be, a, listen, you may be a good preacher. And you may be a good teacher, all right? I'll give you that. Master, fine. You're a healer. <laughs> you healed my mother-in-law. Thanks for that, by the way. <laughs> oh, you one. <laughs> but when it, comes, when it comes to the subject of fishing, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I am in control of this boat. That's a, that's a statement of, of control. That's a human being answer to God. I'm in control of this boat. Lord, you, listen, I want you, man. When I'm failing and I'm struggling, that's fine. But I'm in control of my relationships. You understand? 
Lord, I'm in control of my work. I'm in control of my decisions Monday through Saturday. I'm giving you Sunday morning, but I am in control. I'm in control of his boat. The trouble, of course, is that being in control of your boat often leads you to great success, but emptiness. See, I haven't caught anything. Yeah, you've got a great, great business. Great, good for you. What do you got right now? Nothing. Yeah, you are in control of an empty vessel. You are in absolute, you are the master and commander <laughs> of a vessel that's empty. And I mean that, like, I've, I know people. I know them. I know them. You do too. They got everything that they could want. And they are totally in control. Empty. And people come to church. Why are you here? You know when you really get to know them? Why'd you come here? Can I tell you honest? Yeah, please do. Because uh, I had a great job. I had a great car. And my family is starting to get, you know, everything's going good. Got, got them into a great school. But I couldn't get over this nagging feeling that something was missing. And not even for me and mom, you know, we're, we're done. But my little kids, I don't know. They don't know. It's empty. Yeah. Yeah, we've worked real hard all night. Haven't caught anything. And so everything, everything, everything hangs, I think, right there. The period. <laughs> now, every, <laughs> some of you, if you look in your Bible, some of you have a semicolon. Others of you have a colon. <laughs> I hope all of you have a colon. But what I mean is, punctuation-wise, you've got something that indicates a pause. I think the pause is both grammatical and theological because so much happens in that little dot white space. Right there is the turning point for Peter's life. Will I trust Jesus? Not because it makes sense. Not because I think it's going to work. Will I trust Jesus? And not for nothing, there's a massive crowd. The whole reason he's on the boat is because there's a huge crowd. This huge crowd is going to watch you make a fool of yourself. Everybody's watching. You got all these haters. Now you're going to go out there and fish in the daytime? Only a fool does that. Now, will you be a fool for Christ's sake? Just because he asked you, will you do it? In that moment, Pete, will you take me fishing? Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. What Peter didn't get to see puts him in the same boat as you and me. Because you know if Jesus could have just gone, time out. Just need 20 seconds. Time out. I'm going to drop the screen for you. Stop. Luke, quit writing. Everybody, I'm stopping time and eternity. Peter, Peter, I'm going to drop the screen for just a second. This is what hangs in the balance. I've asked you to take me fishing. We're at a semicolon moment theologically, right? Let me show you something, Pete. Will you take me fishing? Your whole, you don't know what depends on your answer to this question. Let me just drop the screen for you, Pete. Hey, Pete, you know what that is right there? You know what that is? That's your tomb, dog. That's where they're going to bury you. In the Vatican, they, they call that saint, you ready? Peter's Basilica. It's the highlight of the Renaissance. It took them 118 years to build this bad boy. And they did it because of what you do in this moment. Look at the sense of scale on this thing, right? These are pews. What's a pew? Stay with me, Peter. These are pews. Look at how it draws the eye upward to the glory of God, all because of what you do in this moment. Now, Pete, will you take me fishing? Right? Now, but <clears throat> Peter doesn't get any of that. And neither do we. Neither do you. 
Some of you are clenched to those nets with white knuckles. If I give you control of my kids, if I surrender control of my job, Lord, if I give like you want me to give, if I serve like you, who's going to be there for my time? Who's going to do it? Who's going to control this stuff? I will. I don't know. But what if he could drop the screen, man? What if I could drop the screen for you a million years from now? I show you all these saints that are in heaven because you shared the gospel with them. They have eternal life because you were faithful to God. What if I could drop the screen 50 years from now and you see your kids serving the Lord? Right? What if I could drop the screen and you see a life that ends not in divorces and brokenness and and, and, and non-reconcilingness? But what if I could show you a life of shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken, perfect peace? I can't drop the screen and show you that. I won't either. He didn't do it for Peter. But that means it's not there. Everything hangs in the balance of what you do in this semicolon moment. Some of you listen to the word of God. You got that. Check. And some of you took Jesus fishing. You know what I mean? Like you've been inconvenienced by Jesus. Fine. But now, uh, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I'm already there. So uh, here's the great thing. I don't know how to give examples of this one, but the good thing is I'm banking on the fact that if you're there, you already know what they are. Here's what I mean. I wish I could give you a good example of what it looks like to throw that net overboard, but here's what it is. Every time you leave this church on Sunday morning, something stirs in your heart. You know, I really ought to blank. You know, I really ought to stop blank. You know, I really have to forgive blank, right? You get what I'm saying? I think those examples are already out there. It's that nagging thing that's always there. Here's what I'm saying. Do it. Stop playing around with it. Do it. And the reason you won't, it's the reason I won't, because I am so sure that I'm in control. And the second reason is because I can't see the future. I can't see what God will do. But man, you're in a semicolon moment. Do you know what hangs in the balance? If you'll just say yes. Do it. But it doesn't come out of nowhere, okay? It comes in these small steps of faith. And that leads me uh, to, the, to the, you know, the results of all this. Uh, when they had done so, they enclosed... Uh, oh, right, right, right. Uh, I forgot. So Peter says yes. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. That Luke 5.5, 5, what a great verse. Master, we've worked real hard all night and caught nothing. I don't think it'll work. I don't think this is going to fly. But you know what? Because you say so. The, the New American Standard says, Nevertheless, at thy word, fine, I will let down the nets. <laughs> Sploosh. And that sound of the nets hitting the water must have, I mean, there must have been, like there was ripples on the water, but imagine what was happening in the angels in heaven. Because it was a sign of a, this Galilean boat captain surrendering his will to the master. And when they had done so, that's important, not when they had believed so. Not when they had left the sermon and said, yeah, that's good, uh, yeah, that's good, I'll file that away to never do when they had done so, they, they enclosed such a great quantity of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled for their partners and for them and the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats that they began to sink. Here's the number of fish that professional fishermen had caught in the night heretofore. Zero. And now suddenly they get two boatloads of fish such that they begin to sink. Come on. 
when they had done so, Jesus does this great miracle. And, he, of course, you know, Jesus is just starting. This is going to end at St. Peter's Basilica. It doesn't even end there. It keeps going forever. But, you know, it's just starting. Jesus is like, oh, you, you watch. I mean, I, this is going to blow your mind, this whole thing, right? And so, obviously, at this point, it's kind of the, the denouement, the, the end of it. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. You and I would, too. And he changes his language. He says, go away from me. Here it is. Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Surrender. This is a different Greek word altogether. It's kurios. It's Lord. It uh, translates like uh, you might say Yahweh in the Old Testament. This is, I know who you are. You're the God of Israel. You're the Holy One. And I also know that to look upon God is to die. So I'm going to need you to get off my boat. Thank you. Uh, this is too much. And Jesus, just in that moment when we'd, we would have deserved ridicule or we would have deserved maybe an I told you so from the Lord. Instead, what does he say? Isn't this good? Oh, because he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And this is how James and John becomes disciples too. So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And Jesus says this. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. In other words, from now on means I have a future for you. Okay? Uh, I've got plans for you. And from now on, you're going to follow me and be a fisher of people. You've just seen the tip of the iceberg of what I can do. And there it is. Surrender, big faith. There it is, big faith. I surrender all. They pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. The whole reason I preach this sermon is to, say, is to make this sentence, make this point. Big faith didn't explode on the scene out of nowhere. There was a small, seemingly insignificant step of listening to the word of God. Congratulations. You're all in church. You're doing that, Right? But then they were listening to the word of God. Then they took a small, insignificant... I mean, what does it matter? So this rabbi gets on my boat. I let him... Took a very... It was inconvenient. But took that inconvenient step of faith that let uh, Jesus inconvenience him a little bit. And then surrendered that step of faith to go fishing and left everything and followed him. It didn't explode on the scene out of nowhere. It exploded because there was a person who took small steps of faith when they were there. And that's what I want you to do this week. I want you to take your next step of faith. I don't know what it is, but you do. It may be that some of you are in the sit and listen phase. You need to go home and start reading Matthew. Read it. Start in Matthew. Read the New Testament. Others of you need to read that Christian book. You need to listen, go home and listen to some tapes uh, from, from Charles Stanley to Andy Stanley. I mean, anywhere. Find somebody and start listening to those uh, uh, somebody who's preaching the Bible and listen to the sermons, uh, uh, go to City on a Hill, go download all the old podcasts, listen to that. Whatever it is, you need to sit and listen for the Word of God. Read the Scriptures. Others of you are like, yeah, I've been doing that, but you're in the lone Jesus, your boat stage. Now, if you're sitting here going, sermon's not about me. I don't own a boat. It's like, man, you missed the metaphor, man. Like, I was working so hard. This means there is an inconvenient step, and it's not going to cost you your life, okay? It's not going to cost you leave the family business and come follow me. This is not, I was, you know, going down this path, but God called me here, and now I'm totally different. This is take a step of faith that, yes, is inconvenient. Let Jesus inconvenience you. Some of you have done that habitually, and now uh, you need to take him fishing. And it's, that's that thing where it's nagging. I told you I was ahead of myself. I've now caught up with myself. It's that thing that's nagging on you when you leave here. I need to. I need to make that call. I need to, you know, break up with that person. I need to reconcile with it. Whatever it is, right? I need to. I need to. Uh, generally, there, 
In my limited experience, these usually take the form of something to do with your habits, something to do with your relationships, or something to do with your money or time. Uh, that's not law, but the, generally, when I say take him fishing, surrender control, more often than not, it's someone's habits, relationships, money, or time. Will you take it? And then the final step, leave everything to follow. For those who have really been taking those steps in those first, first three then the fourth one makes more sense when we're at our old camp meeting and I'm the altar call. Will you surrender all to follow? Now it makes sense. And a lot of us read Matthew and then we read Luke and we look at Matthew and go, well, if you had said all that, right? Now big faith isn't this mystery that's waiting to explode out of nowhere. Big faith is waiting on you to take whatever step of faith is in front of you. So will you take it? Uh, the sermon is no good at all. If, if you don't take the next step. Hey, I need to say this too. This is not so you can grade yourself. Right? I didn't put this up so I could say, ah, oh, okay, you're an A-plus Christian. <laughs> Fail. It's not to grade yourself. That's, that's a terrible use of this. And it's certainly not to grade others. The whole point of this is, where's your step of faith? Will you take it? It's just to help you identify and go, okay, I could be here. Take it. If you don't like my list, invent your own list. I don't care. But take that next step of faith, will you take it? That's the only way to know what hangs in the balance. When they pull that screen down and show you what your future holds, it's the only way to know will you take that next step of faith. Let's pray. Father, grant us grace wherever we are, whether we're just crowding at the water's edge and listening to your teachings or whether we're clutching our nets white-knuckled in fear, or whether we are ready to leave all those boats and all that money and all that fish on the shore and follow you. Wherever we are, I pray, oh God, you'd grant us grace to take that next step of faith. We praise you, O oh Lord, because you are alive. We cannot have big faith if you're a dead teacher in the grave. We can just follow your example. We, but we can take a step of faith because you are alive and you still call us to follow you, a person. Not just follow your teachings, not just follow your example that leads to the grave, but follow you, which leads through the grave to eternal life. Thank you that you're alive right now and you empower that step of faith that you're calling us to take. What you will, you will empower to do. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.